This morning, um, we continue our marriage and family series, and we're talking about smartphones. Yes, smartphones, yeah. Anyone know what year the iPhone was introduced to the world? 2007. 2007, not too long ago. The iPhone was introduced to the world in 2007, and maybe some of you were early adopters. Some of you probably purchased your phones maybe 2008, 2009, and then the majority of us, we joined the party in 2010, 2011, 2012, around that time, yeah? And so many of us have smartphones now. Um, And so this morning, I wanted to talk about smartphones because it impacts all of us, whether you're, it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, rich or poor, male or female, married or single, it affects everyone. It affects marriages, it affects children, it affects families. So I want us to kind of take a look at what the Bible has to say about smartphones. Does the Bible have anything to say about smartphones? As a pastor, my interest is in the spiritual life and specifically The question that I want us to um, explore this morning is, what does the Bible have to say about smartphones and the spiritual life? And my goal this morning is not to throw out a bunch of thou shalt nots or not to demonize the smartphone, but my goal is to start a meaningful conversation. And then my hope is that you will continue that conversation that you will continue that conversation with God, that you will continue that conversation with me, that you will continue that conversation with each other. And especially for those of you that have um, influence over children, that you will continue that conversation with children. And so that's my goal this morning. So let's get started. What does the Bible have to say about smartphones and the spiritual life. And I want to start in the very beginning. The very first line of the Bible is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, in the beginning, God create, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then over the next five days, God continued to create On day two, God created the sky and the sea. On day three, God created dry land and plants. On day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. On day five, God created sea life and winged birds. And then on day six, God created land animals and insects and creeping things that all the earth, that creeps upon the earth. For six days, God 
created. And then alas, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. It says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For six days, God created And then something interesting happens. Something exciting happens. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, says this. It says, God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Scholars call this, these three three things, the creation mandate. These are like the job description of all of us. These are three mandates that God gives to every single human being. The first mandate is this, be fruitful and multiply. That means go have babies in the context of marriage, yeah? Go have offsprings, have children. Train up your children in the way of the Lord. Be fruitful and multiply. And scholars call this the procreative mandate. That's the first mandate. And the second mandate is this, Fill the earth, and that's the cultural mandate. And I'm going to circle back to the second mandate. And then the third mandate is this. Have dominion over. Have dominion over over my creation. And the neat thing about have dominion over is, like just this past Friday, our young people, they, they, they made their voices heard about this idea of having dominion over God's creation. See, to have dominion doesn't mean domination. To have dominion doesn't mean destruction. Dominion means to take care of God's creation. To be a caretaker of God's creation. To lovingly take care of God's creation, to be a good steward of God's creation. That's the third mandate, and scholars call this mandate the managerial mandate, or another good term is the stewardship mandate. So that's the third mandate. That's our job description. Now let me circle back to the second uh, mandate, which is fill the earth. What does it mean to fill the earth? And so for six days we saw God creating. God created for six days. God created the primary stuff. The primary stuff God created for six days he created. And then God says 
to all of us, he says this. He says, fill the earth. Fill the earth with the secondary stuff. Fill the earth with language and with culture and with art and with music. Fill the earth. Add to the primary stuff. Add the secondary stuff. Fill the earth with customs and habits, with ideas and with philosophy, with science. Fill the earth, add the secondary stuff. Fill the earth with law and education and medicine. Fill the earth with systems and structures and even sports. Fill the earth with values. Fill the earth with inventions. Fill the earth even with technology. Fill the earth even with technology. God says, I've created, six days I create. I create the primary stuff. And now I give all of you a mandate to fill. Fill the earth with the secondary stuff. Fill, add, add the secondary stuff. And then God says this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, he says this, so then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. Everyone give me a thumbs up and say, very good. You can do better. Give me a thumbs up and say, very good. God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. It was very good. But something terrible happens. Adam and Eve disobey God. And this has severe and far-reaching consequences. You see, the curse, the curse of death, it brings affliction and trouble into the human experience. But the good news is that Jesus comes to save the day. Jesus comes to reverse that curse so that what, what, what once was dead is now alive. One, what, what was once lost is now found. What was once blind can now see. One, what was once cursed is now blessed and good. Jesus came to redeem, to redeem us, to redeem creation. And here's the neat thing. God actually solicits all of us to participate in this mission of redeeming Redeeming what was cursed. So technology and everything else that humans fill the earth with is both very good and cursed. And the question is, how do we redeem it for good? <laughs> 
the smartphone. Very good. And cursed. And the question is, how do we redeem it for good? How do we redeem it for God's glory? What else does the Bible have to say about the smartphone? I think about the head and the heart. And when I talk about, when the Bible talks about the head, the question that is uh, asked is this, what am I filling my mind with? Content, content matters. Input matters. Romans chapter 12 says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the heart. The question is this, does it have your heart? Does it have your affection? 1 John chapter 2 says this, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And then he says something very interesting. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we need to be very careful that anything, not just smartphones, but anything in life does not distract us from our love and our affection for God. Yeah? And so the head and the heart, the Bible has a lot to say about the head and the heart. Now for those of you um, that have influence over children, parents, uh, grandparents, uncles, aunties, probably all of us, is there a word of encouragement for us regarding the smartphone? I say, the Lord be with you. <laughs> I know, I know that this is a source of frustration and tension in many homes. And um, you are not alone. You are not alone. Um, this is destroying a lot of homes throughout the United States. And so you are not alone. And so... Um, if there's a bit of a challenge, what, 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 what would that challenge be? And I think the challenge is this. Have some meaningful conversations with your children. Sit down and have a peaceful and productive, and many peaceful, many productive conversations. It doesn't always have to be a shouting match over this device. Yeah? Have conversations with your children. Talk about how the smartphone is both very good and cursed. And how do we as a family redeem it for good? Talk about the head and the heart. Here's another topic of conversation. Watch this uh, TED Talk and, and, and have a conversation over this TED Talk. This uh, TED Talk is called iGen, the smartphone generation, and it's... Uh, by Dr. Jean Twenge. I would encourage you all to 
Google it. It's on YouTube. Dr. Jean Twenge, she is a psychologist, and she has been studying generations, and she's been studying generations for over 25 years, long time, studying generations, studying trends. And about the year 2010, 2011, 2012, she noticed some startling and some really troubling trends regarding teenagers during this time these upward trends, and it kind of rattled her. Here's some of her findings. She found that in about 2010, 2011, teenagers in the 8th, 10th, and 12th grade felt left out and lonely. Look at that. They often feel left out. They often felt, felt, feel lonely. And, so, and it, it's just an upward trend. And she's like, man, this is startling. And then the next slide, um, there's this, just this upward trend of uh, teenagers, 8th, 10th, and 12th grade, with symptoms of depression. Um, they, can't do, they feel like they can't do anything right. They feel like my life is not useful. They feel like they do not enjoy life. And about, about 2010, 2011, 2012, there's just this upward trend, and it kind of rattled her. And take a look at the next slide that she discovered. She discovered that um, depression, diagnosed depression, was on the rise for, for teenagers 12 to 17 years old. Major depression on the rise. Depression with severe impair impairment on the rise. And this was troubling to her. And then take a look at the next slide. Suicide rate. For children between the age of 12 to 14, about, gosh, let's see, about 2012, 2011, 2012 on, it just started to double. I mean, this really rattled her. And so Dr. Twenge said, man, I got to do research. I got to do digging. What's going on? Why are our young people feeling lonely? Why do they feel like depressed and unhappy? What's going on? And so, this is the next slide. She thought, maybe it's unemployment. Because when unemployment is high, what happens is the whole family system is kind of suffers. And maybe that's where the source of depression comes from. But she noticed that, that purple line, nope, it's not unemployment. It actually, employment was going down during this time. And, she's, and so then she's like, what else could it be? And she noticed that the smartphone started to pick up steam, fly off shelves in about 2010, 2011, and 2012, around that time. And with the smartphones, phones flying off shelves, screen time increase, social media, texting, internet, gaming, all that increased. And she thought, gosh, could that be the correlation? Is that why there is all this depression. And so Dr. Twenge argues that the loneliness and unhappiness and anxiety and depression that our young people are experiencing can be traced to the smartphone. And this is a quote from Dr. Twenge's book, iGen. 
she, she writes this. Listen, listen to this. This is startling. She writes, It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen, which she defines as those born between 1995 to 2012. We have some iGens in, in the house this morning. It's not an, an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their smartphones. Perhaps Dr. Twingy is on to something. And I would encourage you to sit down with your children and check out this TED Talk together. It's only seven, five, six, seven minutes long. And then have a conversation. What do you think about this research? You know, and talk about Talk about these issues. Have meaningful conversations. There's other meaningful conversations that you may want to consider. And these conversations are a little tougher, but because of this, exposure is so much earlier nowadays that we have to start having these conversations at a younger age. And so there are conversations like pornography and sexting, and even this idea of sneaky apps. Anyone know what a sneaky app is? Check this out. What is this? Anybody know what this is? Yeah, it's a calculator. Yeah, it's a calculator. And when you, and, and you press, uh, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Man, it works awesome. But guess what? This is actually a secret cal calculator photo album. And so what happens is kids will have this app on their phone. And then you, as a parent, when you do the smartphone shakedown, and you're like, show, give me your phone. Let me see what's going on there. And you look at it. You're like, oh, my sweet Johnny. He loves math. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. But when sweet Johnny enters this code on the calculator, it opens up this vault, the secret file cabinet with all these photos and videos. And little Johnny can also do some private browsing on the internet, and you would not know, because it's all secret. And, and the sad thing is there's developers out there that's helping our young people to hide these things from their parents. That's the secret calculus. So sneaky apps, you'll want to have a conversation with your children about sneaky apps. You know what I mean? Talk to them. Say, hey, why do you think your friends need to ha ha have this kind of app? Do you feel like you need to have this kind of app? And then affirm. Talk about how you love them. And talk about trust and, and, af and affirm them. You know, have meaningful conversations. Here's another meaningful conversation starter. I think this is good not just for young people, but for all of us, this is a good conversation starter. Consider this. William Shakespeare says this. He says, All the world's a stage, he says. And all the men and women merely players. And so what he's saying is that the world and life is a stage. And that all of us are actors and actresses on this stage. Now, I don't agree with this, but this is an interesting conversation starter. Maybe you can have a conversation with your kids, um, something like, 
Maybe have a what if conversation. Say this, what if, what if social media is uh, like a stage, like, uh, like a stage here? Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Snapchat. What if that's like a stage? And maybe me and you, what if we're like the performers on this stage? And what if our posts, everything that we post, our pictures and our videos, that's like our performance? And what if our followers and our friends, they're like the audience? And what if the likes and the tweets and, and the retweets and, and the comments, what if they're like the applause meter? And then just ask questions and listen. Does this sometimes describe your experience on social media? Ask them. Why or why not? In what ways? Do you feel pressure to perform on stage? Do you feel pressure to keep that snap streak going? Do you feel pressure to post really cool pictures and really cool videos? What if you perform well on stage and your audience applauds like crazy? They're like, man, that's lit, that's dope. Yeah, I don't sound right, but anyway, I asked a couple of teens. <laughs> and they, don't be a hater. Well, that's, that's how I roll, so sorry. But how does that make you feel? How do you handle that? How do you handle the applause? What if your audience does not applaud your performance? You, posting, you post something that you think is totally cool, but no one else thinks is cool. How do you handle that? What if your audience actually boos you? You post something that you think is cool and people actually write bullying kind of statements. How do you handle that? Have a meaningful conversation. What if someone else's performance is a hit and, and everyone is applauding them like crazy and you feel ignored, overlooked, and left out? How do you handle that? Someone posts something really cool and everybody is drawn to their post, but not yours. How do you feel when that happens? How do you handle that? What if you go to everyone else's performance and you applaud them, but no one comes to your performance and no one applauds you? How does that make you feel? How do you handle that? Having meaningful conversations with kids, so critical. Ask questions and listen. Help them, help them to navigate, help them to walk through this distorted kind of reality. Don't let them walk through this distorted, this distorted kind of reality alone. In fact, truth be told, many of us adults probably need to have this kind of meaningful conversation with a trusted friend or two. And so smartphones, everyone is impacted by it. It affects marriages, it affects children, it affects families. Smartphones, very good. 
and cursed. How do we redeem it for good? How do we redeem it for God's glory? Let us pray.